Thanksgiving season went well as also. In fact, for us today, we're having our Thanksgiving lunch after this service, so we're kind of blending it together. Uh, my wife and I, our kids were all scattered during Thanksgiving Day, so we actually decorated our house that day. So we, we got that done, which is way ahead for us to have all that taken care of. We may have had some of that similar journey. You heard a mention about the angel tree. Uh, we know uh, historically that the church is about being generous, and that's how we reflect the good news of Christ's birth in our own life and our own heart. There's lots of ways to be generous, I know. Uh, certainly giving an offering, serving our neighbor, blessing our family. There are lots of ways we serve and give throughout our life. I know that's true. Angel Tree is one of those reflections. Uh, but I wanted to say that last week we had about 600 angels out, meaning we had tags for uh, uh, silver angels, older, uh, homebound often, uh, those in Methodist home, uh, homeless uh, people, uh, veterans, as well as local children who can't really afford their own Christmas. There were many of them out there, and all 600 were taken before the 11 o'clock service was over. And I think that's exciting to be able to, to say that, how special that is. That's 600 who will be blessed by hundreds and hundreds of you. I want you to applaud that, would you? That is remarkable. Remarkable. And the reason I was remarkable, we've been doing angels here for a long time, and each year we often expand those throughout the years. And years ago when we began doing it in our church family, we often would have angels left over. That was very common. In fact, I expected the last week, like today, uh, to have to get up and say, okay, we got 25 left. We can't let these kids go without having Christmas. So would you volunteer? And I'd keep going till I had 25 hand raised. Now pick the tag up, and when you leave, you promise they'll do it. And to not do that, is just, it says a lot about this church. So I wanted to simply uh, go over that a little bit. And we have more angels today. We've added to to give an opportunity to serve in that way. Uh, we have refugee angels back there. We have, I think, some homeless uh, uh, children, uh, children and homeless families back there. And so if you've not yet chosen an angel, go get one. What a great way to simply share Christmas with someone, uh, go with your family to buy the, pur the purchases. Maybe if you have kids, take your kids with you. It's a very special thing. So we, I said enough about that, but I just wanted to, I just wanted to be, be clear on that for you today. This is the first Sunday of a new series of Baby Changes Everything. Now, please note the picture on the bulletin. We very carefully selected that. as just a little baby like what they look like the first couple days. You know, you can see this baby right here is thinking, okay, I'm ready for a bottle, right? That's a, let's look on the baby's face, you know, because that's what a baby is when they're born. I mean, that's, I, I know that when we have two nativity scenes in our house, and we like that, we like that, and one has a little ceramic uh, uh, angel on it, the other I think is plastic, and, and I mean, a ceramic baby, that was a plastic baby, and, and that's, that's good. It speaks to us of the centrality of Jesus to Christmas and what it means to have God sit us under the world. But this was a real baby. He was a real baby. He really lived and breathed and really had a family and really lived in a world that was difficult. And that's who God sent him to. So we wanted you to see that and reflect that in the image we'll see here, image I'll show you later. Now I want to take you back a few years as I move into the message. Take you back to, uh, bear with me as I do this, please, uh, back to uh, my junior year of high school, which is 1970. There's San Angelo, Texas. And what it was like in those years. One thing I remember my first year walking to school before I, we got our first car, my brother and I got our first car, and, and walking by a, uh, a bomb shelter. 
uh, in San Angelo. I don't know why, but someone was worried that bombs from Russia were going to land on San Angelo, Texas. There was a bomb shelter. We walked by. We thought, thought that was kind of interesting. There's a small Air Force base here. That might be why they made that connection. But there were also a lot of other things that we would hear as kids in that culture, in that season there around 1970. Uh, one of the things that we heard was that the population explosion was going to destroy the world. That was very, very common to have that kind of communication. Uh, ec economists taught it. Uh, anthropologists taught it. it. It was the governments taught that. Population is going to destroy the world. And with that, they talked about famine. Talked about famine a lot. One forecaster said that within, by 1980, there would be 4 billion people in the country starving. 64 billion people in the world starving. 65 million would be in this country alone. That was one forecaster in those years. We heard that kind of stuff. We heard the ice age was returning uh, because of the way climate change was in that time, and I don't know how they figured that out, but uh, the word in those years was, in a few years, the ice age will begin, and we heard that also as part of our time uh, and experience in that, in, in that day and that age. Uh, there, there was uh, uh, certainly concern about nuclear disaster. Uh, we were very much in the middle of the Cold War, and so we continually heard on the news about Vietnam, certainly. And I was very concerned because I'd be draft aides the next year. Uh, and also, again, uh, possibly uh, having nuclear war taking place, the Cold War, the Russians, communists, Red China, very common things that we hear all the time. Uh, there was also uh, the initial concerns about pollution. And some of the prophecies of that time forecast by uh, economists and, and other people who were supposed to know about that were saying the major cities by this time we'd all be wearing gas masks. And that was a popular conversation. And they were already being sold. Great concerns about it in that time, that history. In fact, one a Harvard biologist named George Wall said that civilization will end in 15 to 30 years because of pollution, population, uh, possibly of nuclear war, and the, the, the deterioration of major cities around the world, and especially in our own country. We had events taking place in our major cities here where they had riots. Uh, there were hundreds and hundreds who were killed in those riots. Cities were burning. We heard that a lot in that time in that season. And, of course, there was great difficulty politically for all kinds of stuff going on. These are things, and these were the things that, that really adults told me that I heard. I heard them say it in various ways, conversations, communities. Uh, Walter Cronkite in the evening news, you know, we only had that one news time there in my time, and maybe yours as well. And that was part of our journey. But that was where we were living and where we lived, how we grew up, how I experienced my own life in that season. And you wonder why uh, that, the, that, that things happened the way that they did. Now, I want you to think with me about the time of Jesus. When Jesus was born, in that time, we, of course, had uh, the Roman occupiers of Israel. Uh, we had an enemy that had conquered his own nation. Poverty was huge there in Israel. Most people who lived there were in poverty. Only a few had things. It was a very difficult world as well because it always seems to be that way, some way, somehow, uh, some process. And because of that, sometimes we find ourselves afraid. We find fear rearing its ugly head in our lives. And what is God's answer? What is God going to do? What is God doing? What is God doing now? What did God do then? Well, what he did then was in 1973, he saved Mike Ramsdale's soul. That's what he did. 
in that season. Of course, many of those things didn't happen as they were forecasted. The world's much better than they anticipated that it would be. My life has been pretty good. None of those things really have impacted me very much. Even oil's not been that bad. And some said we'd run out of oil by 1980. There were those who said that, uh, who studied that kind of thing. So what about us? What's God doing? How is God working in our world? What is God's answer then? What is God's answer now? What is God's answer 2,000 years ago? What will God's answer be when our kids and grandkids are our age? What is it going to be like back in those days? What is God going to do? I'm going to show you a video, and I want to wait a second before I have you put that video on. I want the lights to go down so we can see it well, so if we could turn the lights down, that would be great. I'm going to show you a video, and I want you to think with me, what is God's answer then, 2,000 years ago, now, what is God's answer always going to be? And I'm going to read this verse, uh, that's the last verse of what was read a moment ago by Linda, as it influences what you're about to see, and God's choice answer to our world. And here's what he says. She will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Can I show that video now? with me, please. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your answer. In a world that still still seems to be in chaos, that the fear still still seems to rule and things still seem to be out of control, as it was and so it is, and God probably will be. Thank you, God, for sending to each one of us good news in the middle of what is, and that's your son, Jesus Christ, born for us to save us from our sins. We are very grateful Amen. Well, in 1970, the world was very afraid. There was fear everywhere. It was all part of our culture and our life and our stories and our news. Uh, Many remember that. Some are hearing about it for the first time, maybe. In the time of Jesus Christ, the world was in great fear. Uh, They couldn't believe that that Romans marched in their cities, that uh, that Roman soldiers ruled their life, that that a foreign king led their land, and that poverty was so rapid to so many people. They couldn't figure it out why the world was the way that it was. They said, God, save us now. That's what they cried when Jesus walked through Jerusalem. said, Hosanna, 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 which means save us now, Lord, save us now. And so fear was their way. Fear was the way of those in 1970, and and people are still afraid today. Maybe with good cause, live in a crazy world. It is broken. It is damaged. It can be selfish. It can be hateful. And many in that world live meaningless lives. Many are separated from God. Many are lost from their creator. Many are incomplete, broken, irrational, anxious, and some unholy, and some even are evil. 
different than it was in 1970, no different than it was when Jesus came. And what was God's answer then is a God's answer now. And that is he gives us his son, Jesus Christ. He will save his people from their sins. I think sometimes the issue might be this. In Jesus' time, as he went forth to do the work of the kingdom of God, he was sent by God to save us as we already have ordered in this great prophecy of the angel speaking to Joseph. It's already what God said he was going to do, and yet their expectations were very different. They had hoped a long time for God to send someone. Fix it, God. Make it better. Make it right. Make it good. Stop this bad stuff. That's what they wanted to happen. They were very clear on what that should be. First, get rid of the Romans, drive out our occupiers, uh, bring our crops, make them good, make our life uh, healthy, wealthy, and wise, make it easy, make it good, make it all the way we think it ought to be. And so, and so there was a constant tension between Jesus and those he came to save. Do you hear that? There was a constant tension between Jesus and those he came to save because he came why? To save them from their sins. And they wanted to be saved from everything else. Fix this, fix that, make this right, don't, don't do that. And so there was that tension there all the time. It's very difficult for people to actually come to Christ in the way they needed to with this moment of faith and realize what God is talking about when he encounters us with this baby in Bethlehem, this, this God, this incarnated, this incarnation of God himself there and what, what God is doing. And, you know, and it's about me and it's about you. That's what Christmas is about. So this verse, it's about you and it's about me. It's about my sin. It's about your sin. And you define that for yourself today. It's about that I'm going to die and you're going to die. And it's about God bringing an answer under the banner of amazing divine grace, this incarnated moment of Christ coming into our world. How special, how beautiful, how amazing that is for us to change the story, something totally different. The story had already been written. It's still being written for many people. Many parts of our world, many communities still have this story where the story is a story of sin and death. You know it as well as I do. Maybe that's been your story at one time. Maybe it's your story right now. I don't know. He wants to change that story. And, and there we have the birth of Christ to now a new bottom line for life, grace and life. God's grace in my heart and my life, whatever my world is like, and, and life that God gives us everlasting. What an amazing promise, an amazing blessing God offers you and me. We will receive and accept and celebrate God's gift of grace. He says, I've come to save you from your sins. Nothing damages more people than just plain old sin. The damage we sometimes do to ourselves. The damage those who are close to us often do to us. The damage our world does. It's a plain old damage that overwhelms us called the sin of Adam, that being human is part of our journey. We feel that in our life and our hearts. We do things we wish we had not done and things we should have done. Why did we do that? We don't understand sometimes. When we come to God and we come to God, we come to God around, of course, Christmas. Grace, grace. What does that mean? And what, what's the Bible speak to that being? I have several thoughts, uh, teaching points I want to share with you that I think speak to that. The first is saving grace is a living, breathing force of the divine. 
divine being God. The reason I selected that very carefully for you is that we sometimes think about Christianity around what I believe instead of who I believe in. So you're with me on that. Here's my, here's my doctrinal beliefs. I'm fine. I got them in place. Now I'm going to go and live my life. No, it's about who we believe in. It's not about the words that save me. It's about the God who's come in Christ who literally saves my soul, transforms my life, uh, promises the resurrection, walks with me, and allows me to serve him and gives me peace in a very frightening world as I seek to serve the God who serves me so well. It's very much a living, breathing work within each one of us, and it's constantly happening for you and me. In a worship service when music is being sung and, and played and great words are being spoken, the lighting of an Advent candle, certainly. Maybe in a Thanksgiving meal, thank you, God, for this food. Maybe in a time where we say, God, I've messed up. Would you forgive me and help me make it right? Or, God, I'm afraid that I'm going to die. Or, look, God, I've lost someone that I love who died. What is your answer? I want a story that's about life, not about death. A story about grace and not about sin. And how do I live in a world that wants to create fear within me and choose to live by faith is where the struggle is. So it becomes about me then and Jesus and where faith is. And the second teaching point is this. Saving grace, talking about Christmas, by the way, is the character of God made tangible in the person of Jesus Christ. When I say character, the very core of who God is. I look at my world and say, I don't know who God is because there are terrorist acts in Paris. I don't know who God is. Uh, I, maybe I don't know who God is because someone I loved was hurt or, or damaged or didn't go the way that I wanted them to or, or maybe in my own life I've experienced that. But the Bible says here is who God is. The character of God is not revealed in those moments. It's revealed instead in the birth of Jesus Christ. God's character made tangible in when you see this, this baby, you know, reflect, representing who Jesus was as a child, brought into our world, into our lives. We say, so that's God? That's the character of God. That's the love of God. That's the generosity of God. That's the grace of God. That's the saving work of God made complete in the cross and resurrection. That's what it is. That's why I'm in church today. That's what drew me here this morning in a world that will create fear. Always, always has, always will. It's the character of God. Thirdly, Christmas is the incarnation of grace. The word incarnation is a well-known word in the church used for many, many years. It means God becomes human. God clothes himself in human flesh is often the language we use to describe the incarnation. We don't understand that, though, unless we realize that God is a God of absolute grace, loving, graceful mercy. He loves us so much, Christmas is that reflection. He wants to save us so, so, so purely, so completely that he sent his son Christ to accomplish that work. That the character of God is at work in our world. And what is that character doing? It's trying to save anyone who will come to him and say, Lord, it's about my sin. And he's come to save us from our sins. And so we argue with God. We say, God, I'm not sure I want, I, I, I need you to change that verse. You need to add some things do, to do that. And, and that's where the conversation was because we, it's what it doesn't say as much as what it says. It doesn't, say he didn't, it doesn't say he came to do this, 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 and this. No, he saved me from my sin. That's what he's doing. That's what God is doing in the world as he builds the kingdom of God. 
both from those who come and serve and worship and give and celebrate and share and receive, but also in the eternal kingdom of God, God's about where we call it the kingdom of heaven, that God's doing that, and that's where we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves do not break in and steal, that he's come to do that. Those are the words of Jesus where he tells us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And what does it profit, the words of Jesus, what does it profit someone to gain the whole world and lose their own soul? It's about my soul. It's about your soul. It's about our faith in God's faithfulness. It's about our sin and God's grace. It's about our death and God's life-giving resurrection. As our stories now have been changed by the good news of Christ, made real at Christmas in the birth of his son, Jesus Christ, we call the incarnation. Well, thirdly, third teacher point, Christmas is the incarnation and therefore of grace. Uh, and gr- God's character is grace. Uh, and God's character is tangible in the breathing presence and birth of a child. That God said to us, he said, here he is. What are you going to do with him? And what are we going to do with him today? In the sense of God's grace and forgiveness of our sin. Is the incarnation of grace brought into our world. So I think sometime the world that I live in will distract me from, not that it's not important, will distract me from the real point of my own life and the lives of others. Uh, certainly we see a reflection of sin and death by the world we live in. Every time we turn on the television, every time we look on, online to a news site, every time we hear anything on the radio, whatever your news sources are, you're going to discover with me we live in a broken, sinful, hateful, damaged world. Now, I'm not sure I can do anything about that. But I can share with you that God will save you from your sins if you ask him. He'll change your life. He'll bless you. He'll give you everlasting life. He'll call you to serve him in the community that you live in, the world that you live in, uh, the people around you, and all the levels of how we serve God. And that is multi-layers of that. Hope you vote in the next election. There's lots of ways we serve God. But I want you to hear it begin still in that one place that we sometimes avoid having a conversation about. When Jesus came, those in his world kept pointing over here and over there and over there and over there. And so many never pointed here. Never pointed right here. Because Jesus is saying, hey, it's about your soul. It's about your heart. It's about your need. It's about your hurt. It's about your brokenness. I've come to save you there. And that's why he spent time sitting with a woman at a well saying, I'll give you water. You'll never thirst again if you drink it. He had lots of things he could have been doing, but no, let's talk about your soul. And that's what he did. That's why he stopped and paused on the side of the road and said, your sins have forgiven you. Oh, by the way, I'll heal you too. That's why he did things like that. That's why he told people, it's your faith. I see your faith. It's what he celebrated in people's lives. And that's why he took the money changers out of the temple and ran them off because they were interfering with people coming to him who needed what he had to offer, which was the salvation of their souls. Christmas is the incarnation of grace. When you hear those words, that's the beginning of our Christmas journey. We come to a real place where the real God born in a very real way, who's come directly to touch our lives, where it needs to be touched the most closely, the most completely, and where the needs are the greatest. 
Well, this Christmas season, that's where you find yourself really experiencing God in the way he offers himself to you. I'll say the words again, very simple words, easily overlooked, often laid aside, and so easily neglected. And there they are. Your bear son shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I walked past uh, that, that bomb shelter, you know, every, every day when I went to school, you know, for about a year. Thought about it often, didn't really know why or what was going on. I heard, knew about possible nuclear war. We were already af- afraid of things like that. And someone thought there in that place they could somehow buy themselves a little bit of security. I'll be okay because I have a bomb shelter. And it gave them some sense of comfort. Uh, and so they pointed out there instead of pointing here. And I wonder what happened to them as the years went by. I wonder what happened to their family, what happened to the mom and dad who had that. I wonder about their story 45 years after the fact. I don't know. But I know the real answer is where God gives us grace and life. Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you for the words you give us today. And we have to admit, God, we can neglect easily our own deepest, deepest, deepest concerns and needs. And that is that we struggle with sin in our life. Some here, it's an ongoing addiction of all, some sort that we just can't get away from. Many of us, is just plain old fear. We're just afraid. Uh, we're tired of hearing things happen in our world that cause us fear and anxiety. For some, it's other things that we do that we can't believe we still do those things, we still say those things, we still think those things, we still feel those things. Some is what others have done to us. We've been damaged, God, God, by someone we trusted in our life, a parent maybe, a spouse, a child, or friend. Some of us, God, is simply our own neglecting, neglecting God your offering of Christmas and overlooking it or not accepting it or finding some other thing we'd rather have you do for us. But we begin this Christmas season this year a little differently. We come to you, Lord, and we confess, yeah, it's our sin. It's that we die. May the fullness of Christmas be made real in our lives, not only the incarnation 2,000 years ago, but the incarnation God in our own hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.